Good morning. Is everyone awake? Good morning. As Ryan said, my name is Chris Scruton. And as you also heard from Leanne, I live in a house with eight people, seven of which are here. And we live in El Segundo. I'm so thankful uh, to be able to come and share the word with you all this morning. Uh, So we're going to continue on in the letter of 1 Timothy. We've been in it for a couple weeks now. And uh, two main questions I really want to process through with you all this morning. Uh, First, what is the nature of the church? And then second, how does that identity uh, give us purpose? And so Tripp shared with us last week, um, as Ryan mentioned, the, the character traits that elders, those who oversee the church, are called to exhibit. And today, as we continue on in Paul's letter, we're going to see a little bit more about what he says about the church as a whole. And so I want to focus on three ideas of urgency, of identity, and of purpose. So let's read the text. It will be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Uh, We'll start in verse 14 here. Although I hope to come to you soon... I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So as we start this morning, I really want to talk about this idea of urgency. And so the beginning of the passage, as we just read, says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed. And this really reminds me of a story I heard this past Christmas that I want to share. So on Christmas Eve, 1906, wireless operators on ships off the New England coast wondered if they'd had a religious experience. Out of the midst of the Morse code dots and dashes, beeping through their headsets came the sound of a voice reading the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke, followed by a violin playing the Christmas carol, Silent Night. The voice finished by wishing them all a Merry Christmas, and then, as if nothing at all had happened, the dots and dashes started up again. This was the very first time in the history of the world that voices 
were carried over radio waves. What, what a miracle, I'm sure, to those people. of Just like, oh my goodness, voices? I've only heard dots and dashes. It wasn't thought that voices could actually be transmitted over radio waves. But I think the true miracle is that the voice, the very first voice, shared the gospel. And so you guys are probably sitting there wondering, like, Chris, Christmas is like six months from now. Why are you talking about this? What does Silent Night have to do with 1 Timothy? But to me, I see that this story truly illustrates that the gospel message is so urgent and so relevant that it was shared across all available mediums. The gospel is the best news that the world has ever received, and it deserves and demands sharing. So here, Paul used a letter. These men used radio waves. Nowadays, we get to share blogs and Facebook posts over the internet. You know, back in the Middle Ages, there's the Gutenberg Bible and the printing press. You know, the gospel message goes throughout the world by any possible means because God is relentless in His pursuit of us. And so I personally was very convicted by what Paul says. He's saying the time to share the truth is now. But how often in my busy life that is so full of work and obligations, how often do I push off an important conversation? How easy is it to wait until tomorrow? So I want to encourage us today that as Paul is communicating these instructions in this letter, it's of first importance. And we need this reminder, this exhortation, now, today, every moment. This is an encouragement that every day obedience to the Spirit matters. Paul did not want to delay this teaching to the church. He had urgency. And again, I confess that I fight this battle of complacency regularly. I certainly wish I lived in simpler times without smartphones and social media. It's really easy for me to look down on these technologies as things that just get in the way. I just see these drawbacks because I prefer my relationships to be straightforward and in person and easily uh, understood. I, I want to have this ideal bubble of interaction, you know, that it's just me and, and a few people in person, face to face. The same, I think, goes for Paul because Paul desired to be in Ephesus, but he couldn't be there. So he did the next best thing and he wrote a letter. He was aware of the paths open to him to communicate the good news and the encouragement needed to the church. And with this sense of urgency in mind, I want to go on to see what Paul says to Timothy, specifically regarding the nature of the church. So the next verse, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So we're going to break this down and look at a couple of these words and, and unpack a little bit what each word means and how that defines our nature as the church. And so the word household here. I think today we live in a culture that the view of household that was 
in place in times of antiquity is just completely lost and not understood. In Greco-Roman times, the household was the primary structure of society. It was where your identity came from. It was where you belonged. And it literally influenced every single area of your life. The head of the household was called the paterfamilias, who was the oldest male in the family and held all legal privilege over property. And also, in theory, he held the power of life and death over all the members of the household. And the word Paul uses for, for church here, in the Greek, means family. And so you hear us talk, as, and as you guys heard, as we shared our celebrations about family. Being the church is not like a family. Being the church is family. It's our identity. And here in the text, Paul is flipping the script of the Greco-Roman household, attributing God as the head of the household. And all those who believe as members of his household, of God's family. And as believers, we get to submit to God as the head of our household. And secondly, I want to look at this word instructions. As new creations, we need training and guidance. We weren't all born understanding how to live in God's household. Are we willing to learn? Are we willing to listen to those in authority, to those that are wiser, those that have gone before us? I think these questions show us why the character traits that Tripp talked about last week are so crucial. They inform us that as believers, as new creations in Christ, we need to be taught. Paul wrote this letter to teach Timothy. That's why he used that word instructions. Paul was sending instructions to Timothy. And I think God in His grace has not only given us His Spirit to dwell within us, but also leaders and teachers in our family to illuminate the Word and guide us towards Christ. I believe a significant function of the family is to create an environment for teaching where we can learn. Families grow in understanding together as they journey through life. Yet being teachable is not just head knowledge. It implicates our heart. The call here to be family and to be teachable is one that we learn from one another. That our hearts are open towards towards those in our family. It's easy to just say, well, I'm only going to learn from Tripp. I'm only going to learn from Ryan. You know, the the elders, they're the only ones that, that can teach me. You know, no one else can possibly speak into my life. And can I say that that is a lie? The Bible is chock full of stories of God working through people that aren't in authority. We don't have time to dive into to those, but you know, he worked through a donkey. He worked through a shepherd like David. He worked through fishermen like the apostles. And as Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God will work through all the people in your life to draw us closer to Himself and make us more like Him. And I want to encourage us as well that as a family who spends a lot of time together, we will inevitably see the flaws and the shortcomings and the sins of our brothers and sisters. As we live life together, we will see the good and the bad and the ugly. And can I encourage us to not believe the lie that there are some in the family who have nothing to teach you. We all need instruction and we all have the ability and I would even say responsibility to point each other back to Jesus. We are all equal in God's family and Jesus is after all of our hearts and will work through anyone to pursue us. Next I want to look at this word conduct as it regards to the nature of the church. And again, Tripp covered this, but as a quick recap from last week, Paul gives Timothy a list of qualities of an elder, some of those uh, which include self-controlled, gentle, respectable, above reproach. And as you can see, this list is character traits. And this is how the church... All of us are to conduct ourselves. Tripp was very clear last week in reminding us that it, that applies to every single one of us in his church. It is not just a call for those who are the overseers, but for each of us. And I love that it is not a list of to-dos. It's not something I have to become good at performing. It's identity-based. It's who God calls us to be. And it's about our hearts in our character. And lastly, Paul calls the church a pillar and a foundation. We'll talk in a moment about being pillars and foundations of the truth, so we're going to focus for a moment on just the pillar and the foundation. The church is God's agent on this earth to hold up the truth of the gospel. The good news is that His Spirit empowers us to do this work. But again, we are the pillars and the foundation. And so my wife, Katie, and I, we were just in Colorado a couple weeks ago visiting my parents. And this, we got to go see this beautiful uh, church building. So this, just a stunning picture, a, a really amazing place. It's at the peak of a like 14,000 foot mountain, snow covered in the background. And in John, or pardon me, in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And can I say, when, when we saw this in person, I was just like, what a perfect representation of what the church is to the world. Because it is sitting on a rock. And what I found interesting here is I did a little studying on these words, pillar and foundation. The Greek words for those imply something that stiffens and stabilizes, that steadies, or upholds. 
That word foundation here that Paul uses is not the ground or the rock itself, but it's the agent of the stabilization. Paul does use the word foundation elsewhere in his letters. For example, 1 Corinthians 3, which actually means foundation of a building. And that's what he refers to when the foundation of the church is Christ. Christ is the foundation. And so when Paul here uses the word foundation, he is not talking about the rock itself. Jesus is that rock. Jesus is the foundation. But we as the church, we stabilize the truth in this world. As pillars, the church doesn't move because the truth is never changing. The church is not the truth itself. It's not the foundation. The building, the church, doesn't create the foundation. The foundation exists on its own, and we get to uphold that truth in this world. We're called to stabilize the truth and be steadying it in our world. And that is why Paul follows this portion of of his letter with the good news. And and we're going to read that hymn in a second. Because this this is who we are as the church. Pillars and foundation. Teachable family. And so as we continue on to read this short part of this hymn, we're going to look at this idea of truth and mystery. Because the church believes the truth. The church protects and proclaims the truth. But what is the truth? The truth is what Paul says next. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And so I know, for me, this word mystery kind of caused me some wrestling. And so, if you're new at SOMA, I'm about to ask a question. And so you are allowed and encouraged to answer. Uh, So what do you guys think of when you think of this word mystery? What does mystery mean to you when it comes to what I just read? The mystery of godliness is great. Can't be understood. Good. What else? I think that's something to be discovered, like a mystery book. Yeah. Figure it out. Yes, something to be discovered that we have to kind of process through and figure out and work through. Good. I think of um, it being like something that's very intriguing and capturing, and just to go off the thing, like you, you want to and see what happens. Something that draws you in and encourages you to keep going. Any other thoughts? Alfred? The, uh, nothing or nobody created God. Yeah, nothing or nobody created God. He, he just was. But there's something really good about it. Mm. There's something really good about uh, it being a mystery. And, and so, if you're like me, 
faith is not the first thing I want to associate with that word mystery. You know, as some of you had said, I think of novels or TV shows, or most uh, poignantly, the amazing Harry Potter murder mystery party we had last night uh, that some of you got to be a part of. Shout out to Laura there, it was wonderful. Um, so for me, it's actually a little challenging to see that word mystery used here uh, in Scripture. Because I know I want my faith to kind of be understood and clear-cut, you know, defined. I want to be able to, like, wrap my arms around it. So why does Paul use this word? And like I said, I really wrestled with this during uh, my time of preparation for this message. But God has encouraged me greatly around the use of this word. And here's why. Mystery, as it's used here, teases at both the now... And then not yet. There is absolutely tension in this word. And I think I heard that in your guys' answers as well. Firstly, the mystery has been revealed to us in Jesus. God's plan for salvation, which was set in motion the moment time began, is now made known in the person of Jesus Christ. We now have full access to the Father and redemption by His blood. But yet, we cannot fully comprehend God. He is too big, too majestic, too much above our thoughts. For example, our minds are still confounded by the idea of the Trinity. One God, three parts? Like, how does that fully work? And we can't fully articulate what that means. We can grasp it. We can kind of get a sense to it. But to say that we understand the Trinity, if somebody has, it'd be great. I'd love to hear their uh, experience with that. And we see a piece of this mystery in the first line of the hymn where, where Paul says, He appeared in the flesh. Jesus appeared in a body. And in antiquity, in times that that Paul was writing, uh, mystery religions existed. Only a select few could be initiated into this secret religion. And the few that were brought in, they were then bound by oath to keep the mystery a secret. And they couldn't tell the outside world. But Jesus, He came to this earth not just for the few, not just for the initiated. He came for all. He came and inserted Himself into the common, into the everyday. He walked life on this earth, accessible to the people. God entered life with us. This is just unimaginable to really grasp this. But again, the good news is that it's not unknowable. It's not a secret. The Bible has given us the gospel story to show that this, this is not a secret. It is for us all. And then back in chapter 1 as well, Ryan spoke about the heresy of Docetism which is a doctrine that claims Christ's body was not actually human when He came to this earth, uh, 
it was really a like a phantom or a real but like celestial like kind of was real but like they believed that because of that Christ's sufferings were were not real they were just apparent that it happened but because his body wasn't real it didn't happen and Gnosticism teaches that once certain knowledge is obtained this mystery of God is solved and I would submit to you that Jesus is the one that solves this mystery and if we look at the Gospel of John which we just spent months studying as a family it's so interesting because the book of John was written in the city of Ephesus which is where Timothy is pastoring so clearly this city needs to hear these words again and again and again of what John says in one fourteen, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this mystery of godliness is really the mystery of the gospel. Christ came to this earth so that we could know but also experience Him. Paul again preaches and reminds Timothy of this good news. And again, the gospel is good news to us, but that we can be okay, that we cannot fully comprehend or understand. There is still mystery. There is still more that can be learned. And that's the not yet part. We have a future hope of when all things will be revealed and understood. And so here, you know, after it says Jesus appeared in a body, the rest of this hymn summarizes the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I know that in Paul's letters, I'm always looking for the practical application. And it's so easy to skip over the, the segments of when Paul writes to us when he preaches the gospel. But I just encourage us today to remember as we finish this message the reiteration, reinforcement of the truth and the good news of the gospel and that Jesus came sacrificed himself for us died upon the cross but then rose again to give us new life and so now that we have seen the nature of the church both who we are as our identity and what we believe we're going to finish this morning by talking about the purpose of the church. Because Jesus has given us the new identity as family and welcomed us into His household. That identity informs our actions.